Thanks for tuning into Upward Way Podcast. If you're looking to be spiritually blessed, moved, and inspired, there is no doubt you are in the right place. On our show, guests recount their encounter with Christ and how their lives have been transformed through the grace and love of God. And now, please welcome our host. Hello and welcome to Upward Way. I am your host, Marlon Walters. My guest today is the VP of Eastern Missions, Joy Cho. Welcome to Upward Way. Thank you so much for having me. Indeed, it's a joy to really have you as a guest on our show today. And I hope and trust that as we share that a blessing will be in store, not only for our listeners, but even for you as a guest today. Amen. Amen. As we get started with this interview, I just want for you to share with us a bit about your own faith journey. Where and when did it all get started? Okay. Well, I grew up in, into an Adventist Christian family, and uh, my parents were very uh, faithful and active church members. So all I knew was a church. But growing up in the church in California was a very worldly kind of religious experience, you could say. We didn't have the experience of surrendering all and understanding what that entailed. As I was growing up, I really wanted Jesus, really wanted. I was very attracted to Jesus, but I didn't know how to have that relationship with him. I didn't know how to make the word come alive for myself. But, you know, God is faithful. And throughout my life, um, I believe that he orchestrated the event so that I could have the opportunity to meet him, to come face to face with that decision to surrender all, to give all to him. And so it was in 2013, I was a missionary um, English teacher in Korea for a few months when I met a friend and she told me that she had visited the leprosy colonies in China. And she said to me, it totally just blew her away. It opened her eyes. And she said that that experience there was like a detox from the world. Interestingly enough, I met her like three times in the space of two weeks. And every time I saw her, she said to me, Joy, you have to go to China. You have to go to China. And so I said, okay, well, that's it. I need to go to China. I was actually um, on the way back, going, going back to America because I had gotten a job offer. And it was actually one of my dream jobs. I used to be an elementary school teacher and I had dreamed to become a principal of a school one day. And I had received this offer to be the principal of an Advent school in Oregon, grades K through 10. And uh, I thought this was God's will. And so I said, okay, well, going all the way back to America and then coming back to Asia, to China is very expensive and very, um, you know, it's, it's a time commitment. So I said, well, I'll just go visit China for 10 days, see the leper colonies, and then head back to America and begin the process of preparing for my job. Well, I had no idea what was in store for me. My mom and my grandmother had been visiting Korea at that time because my cousin was getting married. And so I said, all right, mom, you know, can you take my two big 23 kg, 50 pound uh, luggages back home? And um, I'll just take my little carry on and my backpack to China and I'll see you in 10 days at LAX. And um, little did I know that I wouldn't go home for quite a while. So I ended up going to China and it just completely changed my life. I went to the leper colonies. And I saw first and foremost that the lepers, you know, they have this disease, this dreaded disease that we've known about in the Bible, the leprosy, that horrid skin condition where they, would, where they were so contagious that they had to stay away from their family and society and call out unclean, unclean to warn people to stay away from them. Well, I had no idea that leprosy was still in existence in this day and age. And... Um, Yes, when I went to the leper colony, I found out, wow, these poor people, they have been 
you know, infested with this disease, and it has impacted their life from the very beginning. Many of them don't have fingers. Many, you know, don't have arms. Maybe are missing legs.、Uh, some are blind, and this is all due to this insidious disease. And I saw, wow, they really need practical help. And you know, even though I didn't know the Chinese language, I could still help. I had eyes to be able to see what they needed, and I could easily help them.、Um, but the second thing that really impacted me were the missionaries there. There were Korean missionaries and Chinese missionaries, and they had incredible stories. They had given up everything. Some had given up their families. Some young people had given up their studies in university. Uh, some had sold their houses and、um, dedicated all the money to this mission. They had given up so much, and all they wanted to do was to serve the lepers and prepare for the second coming of Jesus. I was so floored. I couldn't believe that people lived like this today. It was like living with people from the early church. Given up all, living with all things in common, helping people, preparing for the second coming, studying the Word of God. Sometimes we study the Bible for six or seven hours in a day, and actually, it was that part that really touched my heart and helped me to be convicted of what I needed to do. And for some reason, even though I had studied the Bible and all these end time studies throughout my life, it was there at the leper colonies. As I was studying about the latter rain and the loud cry, the second coming, the hundred forty-four thousand, the sealing—you know—all these end-time topics—that it just started flooding into my my mind and convincing me, like, "Wow, we are truly living in these last days." Wow. Well, that's where you know I received the call. Jesus says, "If anyone wants to be my disciple, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me." And so that's when I started really praying and searching the scriptures. Like, Lord, what is it that you want me to do? Do you really want me to give up my job as a principal and stay here in China and serve the lepers? I wrestled, I studied, I prayed, but I knew what I had to do because I knew myself, and I knew that if I went back to America, I would live the same life that I had always lived, living for myself, enjoying the things of the world. You know, perhaps I didn't do things that were too out there, but still, I loved shopping. I loved going out to eat. I loved the pleasures of the world, and I didn't have that foundation in Jesus. I knew what I had to do, and、uh, once I made my decision, I contacted the school and I said, "You know, I'm so sorry. I know I said I'd come to be the principal of your school, but I can't go." And I told them the reasons and my experience. I was kind of nervous, wondering what they might say to me. But the superintendent was really awesome. He said, "Well, there's not much to say except the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord." And I said, "Oh, I'm so thankful that there are people around the world who understand the mission of God." Well, the harder part was letting my parents know. <laughs> and at that time, my Korean. Speaking abilities were not really fluent, and so I wrote them an email. I wrote them an email explaining the situation, and、um, for some reason they didn't respond, and they didn't respond. And suddenly it was like two or three days before I was supposed to arrive in LAX, and I thought, oh man, I better, I better call them. And so I borrowed a phone. It wasn't easy, you know, to call home, but borrowed a phone and、um, called them. And、I remember the conversation, so I was like telling them, "Yes, and you know, it's been an incredible experience, and、um, I'm not coming home." And the silence was deafening. <laughs> and you know, my parents were kind of like, "Uh huh, uh huh, uh huh. What? You're not coming home? What do you mean? You're staying there with the lepers? You know, if you come to America and you be the prince of the school, you can be affecting so many families, so many students. You know, you're still we'd still be working for God. But they didn't really understand what I knew in my heart for myself. I made the decision, and you know, I was an adult, and so it's not like my parents could say, "Come home" or anything like that. I suppose they could have, but they'd always kind of let me do my thing. But later on, I found out 
that they had been actually very quite angry. Like, how could she, you know, lose this great opportunity? And then they were kind of worried. Oh, China is a place where people will kidnap you and they will steal your organs to sell them on the black market. You know, it's so dangerous. Why would you want to stay there? But nonetheless, I knew that it was a calling from God. And that definitely was a turning point in my life because it changed the trajectory of my life. No longer was I living to please myself. No longer was I, you know, working at a job to make money for myself. I decided to give everything to God so that he could lead me and guide me and transform me. And ever since then, yeah, it's just been a ride of a lifetime. Yes, it's a thrill. It's an adventure. And, you know, I'm here and I, <laughs> I'm experiencing it just by listening. I just want to get into, I would say, you know, the headspace of your parents. I, I know you can't speak fully for their experience, but with, you know, Christian parents, especially Adventists, one of our goals or one of the goals is often for our kids to lead a life or live a life that will lead people to Christ. So based on the difficulty that they had with your uh, decision, what do you think was really the, the essence of that difficulty? You know, I think parents love their children. They want the best for their children. And even as faithful and active Christian parents, it's very easy to get swayed by the world and to question and doubt. Am I doing the right thing? Am I providing everything for my children to be competitive with the world? And um, I think it's so easy to fall into that trap. And so during that time, I was thinking to myself, you know, my parents just want me, actually, this is the thought. I think that they wanted me to be stable and safe. I think those were the two driving factors. Even though they loved God, I think that this experience really caused them to be challenged in their Christian walk as well. Because as time went on, <laughs> you know, they, I think they experienced more and more surrender. By the time I was um, out in the mission field, I was already in my mid-30s. And so I knew at that time that I might be risking um, the potential of getting married, of having children. But at that time, you know, I made that decision like, okay, Lord, I'll entrust my life into your hands, my life partner, you know, having children or not having children, etc. And I'm sure that my parents struggled with it a lot as well, because not only, yeah, they wanted the best for me, the best according to what the world knows. I like to think that it was a stretch for them spiritually as well. And now they don't nag me so much about getting married or, you know, did you find someone or you know, are you in a safe, stable place? So, yeah. Awesome. And it's a brilliant response. And I could see it to parents because uh, there are so many who would listen. And even for me as a young parent, it's something to really consider because I too would say I would want my child to, let's say, be a missionary. And we sometimes, you know, just use words I wouldn't say lost, but when we think of, you know, missionaries, we, we don't think that, okay, sometimes lives are endangered and these kind of things. So I really appreciate the response that you have given thus far. So as you spoke about the journey, what were some of the, let us say, experiences, the standout experiences for you as you were there in this? The leprosy colonies. Hmm. Yeah. You know, I learned so much. Growing up in, in America and living life in America is extremely fast paced. And especially in this information age, we've got cell phones that are like supercomputers that can do everything at one time. And we tend, I did as well, we tend to live in that kind of way of go, go, go. And um, I thought that was doing the best for God doing more in quantity for God. But when I was in the leper colonies, it was very peaceful and quiet. We had that time to be able to read the Bible and spirit of prophecy for ourselves. In America, when I went back to go visit America, maybe about a year later or something, 
I remember looking through all my books and I had all these Ellen White books and they all had a bookmark in page 50 or 75 or 100. I had the intentions of reading through, but I never got so far. But in the first six and a half months that I was in the leper colonies in China, I was able to read, I believe, six or seven complete books. And to me, that was a miracle. Not only that I read through all of that, but that God kept my attention and interest to read through, that I was able to, you know, see the value and have the time, make the time to be able to study and read. And so that, just having that time was so, so profoundly important. So it's not about the quantity of what we do for God, but it's about the surrender. It's about giving our lives completely to him to allow him to will and to do of his good pleasure in our lives. That was one lesson that I think was really important. And I think the second lesson was learning that God is my provider. You know, once I receive the the fact and that understanding that God is everything, not only our creator and our redeemer, but he is also our provider. And at the beginning, when we receive the call to give up everything, you know, you just want to give up everything. And you say, oh, well, what should I do with that money in my bank? You know, how can I give it all to God? And when I asked the leader of our ministry, you know, he said, you know what, you better hold on to it because um, you're going to be doing a lot of traveling and you're going to need that money and God will show you. And so I said, all right, well, let's uh, see what God, you know, has in store. And um, after some time, I was thinking about money and I remembered that I had um, retirement savings. I never thought about it at the time when I was in my 20s. But at that time, I said, oh. Well, I've got some money. Well, I don't believe that Jesus is going to come so late, like when I'm retirement age. I better use that money now for his work. And so I made the uh, arrangements, pulled out my retirement funds, and was able to use it for the ministry. And um, at that point, I had owned a house. I was mostly like the bank owned the house, and I owned a very small portion. (laughs) But um, at that time, I had renters in that house. And they loved the house, and they said, oh, we'd love to continue to rent until we can be able to buy. Oh, I said, oh, great. Well, this can be great. It can pay off my mortgage. But then one day, I received an email from the real estate agent, and they said, oh, you know what? They put their 30-day notice. They're going to be moving out in a month. I said, Lord, what happened? And then I asked them, oh, can I ask what happened to the family? And it turns out, even though they had several kids and they were, you know, in a good place, they had decided to get divorced. And because of this unforeseen incident, my house suddenly became empty. And so I took that as a sign to sell (laughs) because, you know, we know that we don't want to be encumbered with, you know, houses and other things that have you in debt. And so I said, okay, Lord, let's sell. And I was able to sell. And with the proceeds of Um, of the sale, I was able to use that for the ministry as well. It's been over eight years since I've been living this life as a missionary. And of course, you know, money doesn't go too far, especially when you're traveling, you're doing air travel. And there came a a time when my bank account was going down, 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 down. And I started to pray, Lord, what would you have me do? If you want me to continue to do full-time missionary work, then you have to be the provider. Otherwise, I'm an able body. I can, I can work. I can do whatever is necessary. And so after I prayed that prayer, I just waited for the Lord. And um, suddenly the lady that I was working with in a different ministry, after that I started doing medical missionary work, um, she, she said, you know what, Joy, we'd like, to, we'd like to pay for the plane tickets, you know, for traveling or for all the ministry seminars and such. And we'd like to give you a stipend. And I said, okay, Lord, you are definitely my provider. And I can just wait upon you. And he allowed me to be able to continue without going into, you know, getting a job. So many different lessons. So these are just a couple of them. Well, these are grand lessons. And it doesn't matter how many universities you would have attended. It doesn't matter how many degrees you have acquired. You just can't pay for these kind of life lessons. 
as you have said, basically, at the start, you funded your own missionary journey. There are some individuals who may be of that same persuasion, but they are saying, I don't have the money, or others might see it as a means of earning. In terms of, you know, a young person, middle-aged person, old person, contemplating ministry, I'm talking about being missionaries, what would be that one, two, three pieces of advice for anyone thinking about being a missionary? Well, as many people have probably heard already, there's this wonderful little phrase, and um, it says, if it's God's will, it's his bill. So I really do believe that if God wants it to happen, you know, he can provide it in a thousand ways. Ellen White tells us there are a thousand ways of which we do not know that he can provide. God is the owner of a cattle on a thousand hills. <laughs> He's the owner of the whole universe. If we are ready, then I believe that he can pour out the blessings from heaven. And so, you know, have that when you receive the call from God, you know, pursue it, find out and go for it. And you know what? Everything in spirituality, in Christianity, has God's part and our part. And together, we experience the mind of the divine. And so as God is doing his part, we also need to do ours. And God will show you. That's the beautiful thing. He got, He is faithful to open doors and close doors. And so if we are sincerely seeking and praying, he will let you know. So I don't know about one, two, three, but go for it. <laughs> you know, go for it, really. If that is a call, a burden on your heart, you know, pursue it with all of your strength and with all of your might. Now, I remember when I was a kid, I was in, I was in high school when one of my close friends who was maybe about five years older than me, she became a missionary to Mongolia. And back in those days, before there were hardly any missionaries there, she suffered so much. But her faith was so strengthened, and she would write me letters, and we would correspond back and forth. And I remember that desire. I saw one of my letters, or a response to one of my letters that she had written to me, and I told her that I wanted to be a missionary. Back then, I had that desire, but then I went to college, and I got a job, and I started working, and life got in the way, but I believe that God remembered my desire to serve him. And so, yeah, we just got to keep following his open doors. Maybe your testimony is the one <laughs> for me personally. I remember reading mission stories and I too said, you know, maybe one day I would contemplate being a missionary. And, you know, incidentally today when I was in, you know, a certain place, <laughs> I sort of thought and said, you know, are you being a missionary, whether officially or unofficially? I can't say I got the response, but it's indeed, I would say, a good practical response that I'm getting from you. Now, in terms of struggles, doubts that we experience as Christians, have you ever had moments within your spiritual journey or along rather your spiritual journey that you experienced doubts? If so, what would have been your experience with doubt? And also what would have been, let's say, your strategy for overcoming such doubt? Mm. Yeah, that's a really good question. And I think this is very real for everybody. You know, no matter how nice somebody is packaged on the outside, everyone deals with struggles. Um, for myself, I think probably the greatest struggle has been the journey of experiencing emotional healing and how that links together with spiritual healing. You know, no matter how wonderful our parents have been or, you know, the best that they, can, they could have done, you know, sometimes Satan gets in and he causes us to believe different lies. And especially when these lies attack our identity, our value and our worth, um, it really, you know, causes a lot of um, pain and suffering and doubt, especially in relationships, even in working relationships or even ministry relationships. And so as I've been dealing with that during my lifetime, there are times when you have some kind of conflict with people in the ministry. I remember this one time there was a lady who had issues herself. And so then I would cause her issues to become big, right? I remember one time I heard that 
me putting my hands on my hips, you know, because that's a very Western thing to do, right? But in the Asian culture, it was very threatening. And so these kinds of things caused this friction. And she started saying things and doing things that were really just very frustrating and um, discouraging. At one point, I just learned, you know, we have to choose to forgive. No matter how crazy or irrational people behave, if we choose to forgive, we can place our minds in a direction that makes that decision and then our feelings follow. And um, you know what? It made all the difference in the world. And as I've continued on my journey of healing, I can just say that God has been so faithful because he has always provided what I needed. You know, one thing for me was I didn't feel that closeness with God. I felt like he was way distant out there, but I still knew I needed to do the right things. But he was able to um, show up in a way that I realized that even in the toughest times of my life, he was right there with me. And um, being a personal God, one that loves me, that I could imagine to hug me, to hold me, to hold my hand, and to care about every little thing, that has been just foundational for me. And I believe that, you know, many people are going through this kind of struggle. They don't, you know, they have those doubts. But we got to remember that it's Satan that wants to hold us in the chains of lies and doubts. But it is God who through Jesus, our Savior, has died to break these chains up so that we can have freedom in Christ. As I hear you recount that experience, the song that enters my mind is the one that says, one set of footprints in the sand. And as the author said, throughout the darkest or most difficult period of her life, she noticed there was just one set of footprints in the sand. And she was questioning, why is it so? And then she learned it was the period in which God was carrying her. So God, yeah. as you have said, is really a great provider. You have just shared your own challenge with doubt. I'm going to ask you now for your perspective. Why do you think many persons find it difficult to trust God's plan for their lives and find it so difficult to the point where they end up leaving the faith? What would be your perspective on this particular question? Yeah, that's a really good question. You know, people go through so many different things, right? Everyone's background is so different. And yet, you know, what I would say for each person is that if they just hold on, you know, God has a way of revealing himself, of faithfully showing up. And so to people with doubt, we just say, Seek and search with all of your heart, for God promises that if you seek and search with all your heart, then you will find him. So it's about finding him, and it's part of this journey that is so really beautiful that we can see him unfolding our stories uh, so that we can be able to really get to know who he is and his plan. You know, I think growing up, <laughs> there was such an emphasis on the prophecies and various things, but it was really pushed on us as children, at least, um, in an informational way. So it was just about head knowledge and not about the experience with having the relationship with God. And so I'm not surprised when you are taught in this way, then you can't help but want to reject this kind of God. So I can understand. But if people are open, then I know that God can do the work of bringing them back to him. So when people have doubts, I say, you know, go and talk to somebody, talk to people, seek and search. Because sometimes just you in yourself, you can't find those answers. Don't be discouraged because God's truth is promised to set us free. And his is the eternal truth. And his salvation has been prepared for us from the foundations of the earth. And that doesn't change. And so if we just keep showing up, going to him, seeking, then I know that he will provide those answers in due time. Don't give up. In Japanese, they say, ganbare. <laughs> Don't give ganbare. up. Ganbare. I remember. <laughs> 
currently you're no longer in China, but you find yourself in Australia working as VP of Eastward Mission. So I would just like for you know to you know give us some perspective. We we know a little about Eastern uh, missions already, but you know what is your role exactly? Sure. Well, God works in very interesting ways, and as as I said before, He provides what we need. Almost maybe around four years ago, God linked me up with this ministry from South Korea, where a lady had run a health sanitarium for over thirty-five years. Of course, it started very small, just in her own home. You know, bringing in people in need one at a time, and that grew and grew and grew. To become a sizable sanitarium, where they're able to have forty to fifty people at a time, and um, so some friends introduced me to her work, and I went there, and I was just amazed because through that ministry, they were teaching people to know God as their Creator and their Healer, and through that understanding and practicing the health laws that we all know about but don't strictly follow. There were incredible stories of people being healed of various diseases: cancer, heart disease, skin diseases, diabetes, hypertension. You know, you name it. Kidney failure. People were being healed, and it was not just for Adventists. It was for people of all the denominations or no denomination: Buddhists, Catholics. All sorts of people, and some uh, Buddhist monks, uh, Catholic priests, Catholic nuns, uh, Presbyterian pastors—you know—all sorts of people. Because everyone gets sick, everyone would come and have the opportunity to hear the everlasting gospel, to hear the three angels' messages, and so many people were able to find God. And when I heard all those stories and experienced it for myself, I remember experiencing. Another level of spiritual revival, you know, hearing about repentance and repenting is one thing, but experiencing it for yourself—that is an incredibly cleansing and humbling experience that helps you to, you know, draw closer to God in a way that you haven't before. And so I started working with her, and she was invited to other countries, and so we went to Thailand. Uh, to India, Malaysia, Myanmar, and we were able to share the health message together with the three angels' messages. And、um, as we were meeting people around the world, there was a couple from Australia that came to one of our seminars in Malaysia. And during that time, they experienced incredible spiritual revival and also improvements in their physical health. They went back to Australia, and they were so excited. They wanted to share this information with everybody. So they bought multiple copies of the textbook that、um, uh, the lady that I work with wrote, and started sharing with various people. And so she kind of kept in touch with me and said, "You know, I gave one of the books to a retired pastor, and he is so excited about it. He said I've been looking for something like this my whole life." And he said, "This book needs to be in all of our churches. Needs to be studied in our small groups. We need to get copies into the ABC bookstore and on eBay and Amazon and all these things." And I said, "Aha! I think this might be an open door because we learn how to identify what doors God is opening." And I said, "Well, I better check this out." And、uh, my best friend lives in Australia, and so it was a great excuse to go visit her. It was just as coronavirus was starting, and so one of our seminars had gotten canceled. And so suddenly, I had a month of time, and so I came to Australia to visit my friend and to meet this retired pastor. And sure enough, God worked through this retired pastor to open up so many doors. I was able to share the messages with different groups of people, and then he drove me all the way to the location where Eastward Missions were based at that time. And I got to meet the president and share with him our vision、um, about this medical missionary work and the program. I had no idea where it would go, but eventually, the retired pastor he、um, organized、uh, Maker Hills seminar right there on the campus where they were. And so, the staff of Eastward Missions, some of them were able to see it a little bit for themselves. And during that time, I got to know them, and、um, the president Emmanuel said, "You know, you're welcome to come back here and stay as long as you want." 
And I really had no idea what was going on at that time. But it worked out that I was able to come back. And as we started talking more and more, Emmanuel was convicted that, ah, oh, this is the way that we should do the medical missionary work. Because in Australia, most of the medical missionary work here is in the forms of very expensive uh, health retreats where people will come and pay four or five thousand dollars for five days or a week to experience, you know, these kinds of, of health treatments and, and such. But with the Maker Heals, we generally do it by on a donation basis. And this is something that I learned from Mrs. Choi, the lady who started the ministry, because she said she always left it on a donation basis because she didn't want anyone to miss out on hearing the gospel. And from that, I was really convicted myself. And so I just wanted to carry on giving that opportunity to everyone. And so from there, we started working together. And um, coronavirus hit so hard that the world you know, went into lockdown. Australia went into lockdown. And I did want to stay longer in Australia because I saw these doors opening. I had no idea that it would last almost two years. So nearly two years later, I'm still in Australia, and I'm able to continue serving the Lord in whatever capacity he sees fit. But um, on a little side note, you know, again, I see the watch care of God over myself because he knew what I needed. And I had one of the most incredible um, training experiences of my life as a Christian and as a missionary uh, just about uh, five months ago in the end of June, I was able to join a small group, five of us, who went to do a um, canvassing program. So literature evangelism, Cole Portering, there's a lot of names for it. And so I was able to do it for the first time. And wow, it was just really the best training ever to come face to face with people on a daily basis, some who don't care, who don't have an interest, some who are angry and who, you know, want you to be off their property as fast as possible. But then to meet those gems, to meet those jewels that God has waiting for us, those divine appointments, we know, wow, that it is God at work. And he is using us to be able to talk to people, encourage them, to point them to the Bible, to Jesus. And ugh, I've had so many experiences that just are incredible miracles. And I know that God wanted this experience for me. And um, his faithfulness is overflowing if we just show up and allow him to work. I like the quotation, his faithfulness is overflowing if we just show up and allow him to work. When I listen to you speak, you know, you sound like an athlete, <laughs> someone <laughs> who has competed in, in sports. That's not where I'm heading with my next question. You know, what do you think would surprise most persons about you? would surprise most people. Wow, that's a great question. But you know, you said I sound like an athlete, but I am an athlete. <laughs> so yes, I have um, done a lot of sports, especially when I was younger. And um, maybe this will surprise everyone. As Madison Missions, we're following the model of the Madison College in America back in the early 1900s to mid 1900s. And in this training school, they combined um, education, of course, biblical education, medical missionary work, but also industries to be self-supporting. So that's one of our dreams at our Madison missions is to be able to provide training that um, will allow people to be educated in some kind of industry or several industries. And so at this moment, one of our most, you know, well, actually the only viable and active um, industry that we have is our tree business. So we have something called Beehive Tree Services, which is an arborist business. Um, they cut down trees and such, prune trees and things. And so people might be surprised, but I've actually been helping the guys. I really do like manual labor and physical activity. And so I'm able to be one of the groundies and, you know, drag the, drag the branches and put them through the chipper and 
Uh, some women, when they hear about that, they're horrified. They're like, that's a man's job. <laughs> you should leave it for the guys. But I do enjoy working outside, beautiful nature, and working with our team. It is physically taxing, but it also provides other um, spiritual lessons that we need. And just this last week, I was talking with one of our, um, our team, Harry, and we we're talking about how, you know, athletes, just back to the athlete analogy again, athletes will do anything to win that gold medal. They will deprive themselves. They will train so hard. And how about us as Christians? You know, we're so soft and we're so weak. We're not willing to give up, you know, even the smallest things that seem like nothing. Some of us, us on the team, we're talking about giving up sugar and, um, you know, want to see how long we want to do it. But still, we're like hesitant and stuff. And, you know, but how much more if we are looking forward to that um, heavenly crown, not just a gold medal, you know, should we be willing to be able to give up everything and to strive and to, you know, go the distance for this most valuable prize for eternity? And so, yeah, definitely. I am weak. I am a human and I am weak, but I know that God is faithful. Yes, I love that surprise, not only about you being athletic, but even the part about you loving manual labor. You know, recently I happened to encounter this um, YouTube presentation called Sabbath Singalong, I think that is the title. And this is hosted by Sandra Interman. Are you familiar with her work? Yes, yes, I am. Well, I hope to interview her <laughs> one day. But I read her bio where it says that she's a first female certified glazier, meaning that she's one of those persons who would do the glass cutting. And, you know, I find mm. it amazing. <laughs> it's, it's really empowering when mm. women are not afraid to take on what we consider, quote unquote, you know, <laughs> men, men jobs. Sure. In a conversation with someone who has never heard about God, what would you say to this person from your experience about God? Or if I should put it even easier, who is God for joy to? Mm. Well, you know, it really depends on the context, All right. Um, especially as I've been doing medical missionary work. It's so easy. <laughs> it just comes out. You know, we just talk about how, yeah, God is the one who made the whole universe, this earth, and he made each one of us. And he's the one who made us. And so he's the one who knows how to heal us. And so if we simply follow the ways of the maker, then we can experience good health. And so then we just talk about the laws of, um, of health and like, yes, just sleeping early and exercising and getting sunshine and eating the right foods and drinking water. And, and everyone, you know, everyone, even in the world, they know these things. And so they just nod their heads and then agree like, yeah, if we just follow his ways and we can experience that healing and the good health. And then we talk to them about God as our creator. And not only is our creator, but he is our savior. And he wants to save us for eternity from this world of sin. So that's one way. But as we share with people in general who have no knowledge, oh, it's, it was great knocking on doors and meeting people and asking them, do you have any religious background? And some say, no, none at all. And we're able to introduce Jesus to them. And just say, do you know, there is a God in heaven who has created everything, including you and me. And he loves us so much that he wants to save us. You see this world full of evil and wickedness and all these bad things that bring heartache and pain. That's why God sent Jesus, you know, part of himself to die, to take away all of that. And if you just choose him, choose to follow him then you can be with him for all eternity. And it's just wonderful to introduce people to Jesus. You know, God is so faithful because, you know, he uses us in some parts, right? So we might be the seed planter. We might be the sower. And then someone else will come and water and continue until the, the harvest. And so at whatever um, part of the journey that we get to interact with people and encourage them, we can entrust these people into God's hands, that he will continue to water them 
until they have every opportunity to choose God. And uh, yeah, it's great. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. That's another point that you have raised, which I really love. We may just be the seed planter. We may be the one who watches a plant, or we may be the ones who reap. It doesn't matter what role we play. We, we just have to embrace our own roles and do it to the best of our ability. I'm not from America, so I'm not familiar with all American holidays, but by the time this broadcast would have been aired, the date you have for Thanksgiving, November 25th, would have already passed. But not too long after, you know, the world celebrates Christmas, December 25th. So it's another time to give thanks. So if you could give God thanks for a few persons, you would have been along your faith journey or your life journey. Who mm. persons be and maybe why? You know, I think of all the people who have inspired me as a child in elementary school, having the pastor talk about Jesus in such a way that was personal and loving, and all the stories of showing how God is real and answers prayer. You know, I'm so grateful for those teachers and pastors and my missionary friends. And as I've, you know, been walking this missionary journey the last eight and a half years, I'm so grateful for those who have gone before me and have been faithful. And their faith really inspires. Their love for God and their love for the word and truth inspires. We ourselves are weak. We need inspiration. And so just having those people in our lives to inspire, wow, that um, has done so much for me and I'm so grateful. And of course, you know, you can't leave out your family, your parents, your friends, your best friends, and just people along the journey that um, have watched over you, have loved you and accepted you and have been walking together um, for all these years. And, uh, you know, as we grow deeper in our relationship with God and our understanding of the word, it's so um, valuable to have like-minded friends who are close friends, but you're walking together with the same understanding of the word and of surrender, of giving all to God. And, and that journey is just beautiful. So I'm grateful for especially uh, my best friend, Selena, who's here in Australia, who's opened up her home and her life and her family. Yeah, it's totally grateful. It's really joyful to hear one giving thanks. Well, incidentally, your name <laughs> happens to be joy. <laughs> As you talk about your missionary journey for the last eight years, specifically, because I know it didn't just start there, to be truthful, what, if anything, do you think God is, say, calling you to do now? You know, we think about starting new ministries. We think about building on we think about enhancing, what would be that thing or series of things you, you get a sense that God is calling you to do? And if so, who would that serve? Yeah, you know, in this time of coronavirus, there are a lot of uncertainties and we have no idea even now how to plan. But all we can plan is to be faithful to God's open doors, to his call. A lot of times people ask me, so where are you going next? What are you going to do now? Or where are you going to go? And a lot of times my answers have been, I don't know. We don't know until God opens those doors. And so we can't say for sure. But we know what God is calling all of us to do. And, you know, I know that he's calling us to country living, to learn how to grow food and to be self-sustaining we know that he's calling us to minister in some capacity. You know, Ellen White tells us clearly that the mission field is wherever you are. If you are a mother or father, your mission field can be your family. It can be your friends and your neighbors, wherever God calls you to. And I think that is the most important. I think that almost is harder than going specifically to the mission field, you know, going out to preach to find souls. But if you can be a missionary in your daily life, I think that, speak, that speaks volumes of your relationship with God. Because that, it's that relationship with God that flows out so that you want to share him with everyone. It's that good news that you want to share. 
And so I really admire people who in their daily lives are intentional about having those conversations with people they meet and uh, point them to Jesus, giving them a book, you know, um, yeah, giving them resources and such. So, you know, honestly, I don't have any great plans. Um, it would be wonderful if God opened the doors so that we could get a property for Eastward Missions that we can um, do this, um, this version of Madison college here in Australia. If it's God's will, we'd love to run a health program and um, an education program for young people and um, do industries just to equip people to become missionaries. That's the point of Madison, to create more missionaries for the kingdom. So, you know, whatever God's will is, let's see, and uh, let's just walk, walk in it. Very beautiful answer. And for me, sometimes when individuals would ask me the very same question, I don't mind saying I don't know. But like you, I, I am inclined, you know, to trust in God. And as you have said, it's difficult to plan. So this popular saying that one of my friends would utter would be, God, you take the case and give me the pillow. I just want to say thanks, Sister Joy, for taking the time out to share with us your story today. For my listeners, just want to remind you that our guest today has been Joy Cho, Vice President of Eastward Missions. But just before you go, do you have any parting words to share with our listeners? You know, it comes down to over and over again, no matter how much you do or how much knowledge you have, it's all about the relationship with Jesus. It's all about Jesus. So if we can take everything back to Jesus and have the foundation upon Jesus, then he can lead us in the right way. So seek him and seek first his kingdom. And God bless you. Thank you so much for this opportunity to share on this uh, show. You've been in tuned to Upward Way. Do join us again next week when you'll have another interesting guest sharing his or her story of faith. You can subscribe to weekly episodes on Apple, Spotify, Listen Notes, and Podcast Guru, or go to the App Store and download the AWR app. You're also welcome to visit our Facebook page, click like, and leave a comment. Until then, I am Marlon Walter saying goodbye. May God bless you. You've been listening to the Upward Way Podcast, the number one audio production show for people who want encouragement and reassurance in a muddled world.